Welcome to Eat Blog Talk, where food bloggers come to get their fill of the latest tips, tricks, and insight into the world of food blogging. If you feel that hunger for information, we'll provide you with the tools you need to add value to your blog, and we'll also ensure you're taking care of yourself because food blogging is a demanding job. Now, please welcome your host, Megan Porta. Are you a motivated food blogger striving to meet financial or freedom goals? If so, then the Eat Blog Talk membership is for you. Take a journey with like-minded peers that will bring you past the overwhelm and straight into the arms of clarity. You will have direct access to guest experts delivering massive amounts of value into your business. You will have the opportunity to participate in monthly strategy calls, focusing on different aspects of food blogging, and most importantly, you will be part of a tight-knit, supportive, and encouraging family filled with people just like you. Visit eatblogtalk.com for more information, and the rest of us cannot wait to see you inside. What's up, food bloggers? Welcome to Eat Blog Talk. This podcast is for you, food bloggers wanting value and clarity to help you find greater success in your business. Today, I have Chelsea Cole with me from aduxoven.com, and I'm so excited to talk with her about finding and embracing your niche. Chelsea is the food blogger behind A Duck's Oven and author of Everyday Sous Vide. It's all French to me. She was born and raised in Portland, Oregon and lives with her husband. She's been food blogging for over 10 years and is a marketing director by day. Actually, that's different, right, Chelsea? You just started full-time blogging? That's right. Yep. Between scheduling this and now, yeah. (laughs) Yeah. So that was a very recent thing. Chelsea spends most of her free time in the kitchen. Cooking became her stress outlet in college and remains that today. Instead of using it to tune out the pressure of schoolwork and a part-time job, it now serves as her way to unwind after work. And it's her favorite creative outlet. That is an awesome bio. I love it, Chelsea. Um, Before we dig into niching down, give us your fun fact. Yes. So my fun fact is that I am allergic to melons, which is very sad as a food person. (laughs) Interesting. Has that been a lifelong allergy? Yes, I actually, um, I, they always kind of like made my mouth feel irritated when I was a little kid. And then when I was 14, um, I had like a full on full blown allergic reaction and I've been wanting to test, <laughs> test and see if I'm still as allergic as an adult, oh, but yeah. my husband is not on board with that. <laughs> Let's not test the waters, right? No, but I have to add to, um, when I was talking to my husband about what fun, what a fun, good fun fact for me would be. He goes, how about that you have a closet full of dishes and silverware we never use? And I was like, uh, the thing is, is every person who's listening also has that. I was going to say that is not too unusual because I have that as well. Mm-hmm. Yep. <laughs> but I suppose from a spouse's perspective, who's not living in our world, they're probably like, this is weird. That is mm-hmm. a fun fact. So I totally see where he's coming from. So I'm curious about your allergy. What happened when you had, you said you had a full blown, full blown attack. What happened? Yeah. So I was actually in Scotland Whoa! (laughs) with my mom and aunt and cousin. Um, and we were just doing like continental breakfast, you know, and I was eating melon and like, as a kid, I was like, I know this hurts my mouth, but it also tastes good. So that's like the compromise I'm making. Um, and so I was eating like a dish of melon and like full blown, like my 
mouth totally swelled up, throat started to swell up. And luckily we were, it was like as simple as I took some Tylenol and everything went down. Um, oh it didn't gosh. go to the hospital or anything, but it was, it was quite alarming. And I was like, okay, I guess I'm done with Melon. Melon and oh. I are no, no longer friends. <laughs> Those life threatening allergies are really scary because they can creep up <laughs> just out of nowhere, it seems like, and be so severe. I mean, you kind of need your throat to breathe, right? So, <laughs> yep. <laughs> I know it's been interesting to figure out too, like, even if I go get a facial, can I use a product that has melon? You know, like, and that appears all to be fine, but it's been um, an interesting lifelong yeah. experiment. <laughs> it sticks with you. It's always in the back of your head. Yep. Oh, mm-hmm. Well, I'm glad to learn that about you. I will never serve you melon, Chelsea. But let's talk about niching down. This is such a buzz phrase right now in our world. And I absolutely love watching food bloggers find a really specific niche that kind of allows them to serve in a new and really um, unique, very specific way to an audience. So your niche is sous vide cooking, which is super niche. I didn't even know what sous vide cooking was until I met Jason Logsdon. I was like, sous what? Like, you need to explain that. And then now I I get it. It's really cool and I'm fascinated by it. But I would love for you to just talk us through how you landed on that niche and what was your journey? Yeah. So I have always been a bit of a carnivore. I come from a family of hunters and fishermen. Um, and so I've always enjoyed eating like a really good steak, um, really good seafood, things like that. I was lucky enough to literally eat so much salmon. I always feel really, like really guilty saying this, but it's the truth. Um, growing up, we would eat so much salmon that I would be sick of it. I'd be like, mom, I cannot Aww. eat salmon again. And it was this like, it's this beautiful spring Chinook salmon, you know, here in Oregon. Oh, yum. Um, and so as an adult and even I've been food blogging since I was 20 and you know, my food blog started as a college student who was kind of like figuring out how to cook and sharing tips with other college students. Um, but you know, I, it developed from there. And even as somebody who cooked frequently, really nailing stuff like salmon and steak and other seafood, um, to get that, you know, perfect medium rare that everybody's after was always a struggle. And, um, you know, with practice, obviously I got better at it, but there's always like, it's always so disheartening when you cut into a steak that you're eating and it's like beyond rare, it's like just not cooked. And then you throw it back on the grill and then you accidentally overcook it. And it's just like a whole disaster. (laughs) Um, and so when I was, I think about 26, um, I heard about sous vide Um, I don't even, I truly at this point don't remember how I heard about it, but I was like, huh, that sounds interesting. Um, And then I mentioned it a little bit, but it sounded a little scary to me and um, a little, you know, like that's something for chefs. That's something for fancy cooks. I am not a fancy cook. Um, And I had talked about it a little bit with my mom. And for my birthday that year, she just got me an immersion circulator, which is the device you use for sous vide cooking. Um, and I was like, well, I guess I'm going to figure this out now. (laughs) Um, and so I did, I actually left it and this is like, it's so funny because my experience was what so many other people have with sous vide. It sat in my kitchen in the box for a few months and this happens to so many other people. They get it and they're just like afraid to start using it or like they feel like it's going to be so hard to learn the process. Um, 
so it sat in my kitchen for a while. And then finally I got it out of the box, you know, did some research, figured out how to use it. And I was like immediately in love with it because it, it's once, once you, so the whole idea of sous vide cooking for those of you who don't know is, um, you put food in some kind of a container. So whether that's a vacuum seal bag or a mason jar, those are kind of the two common things. And then you put that in a temperature controlled water bath. And so the idea with sous vide is when, when you're cooking in an oven, you're cooking in a 425 degree environment, right? Or whatever temperature you're cooking at. You don't want the inside of your food to be 425 degrees. That would be awful. Um, but uh, you're you're wanting to get it. So let's say for a chicken breast, you're wanting it to get to 165, and then you hope that you pull it out exactly when the internal temperature has reached 165 degrees, um, which is this you know funny game that is home cooks. We we get better at figuring out, but it's never perfect. With sous vide cooking. The temperature of that water bath, in other words, the temperature of your cooking environment, is the exact temperature you want the inside of your food to come to. So you literally can't overcook it. Like you can try really, really hard, but you're not going to overcook it. And so once that all kind of clicked with me, it occurred to me how beneficial it could be in so many different ways in my kitchen. Like one kind of like hack I use it for every day is just defrosting things more quickly. Um, because like if you set something on the counter, the counter underneath it is going to get super cold. Um, but in this case, it's in a, it's surrounded by water. And so you can defrost really quickly because you're keeping the environment a certain temperature anyways. And I just fell in love with it immediately. Yeah, I love that. I never would have thought of that. That's a fun little hack. If you do have the equipment to use sous vide, I don't I don't even know how you say that. Is sous vide a verb or is it like, how do you? I use it as a verb. I It's technically like just a cooking method. So just a noun, but I use it all the ways. I say sous videing. You can sous vide it. <laughs> I would totally do that too. So if you're into sous videing, defrosting is a great hack. Okay, I'm sorry I interrupted you. Go ahead, Chelsea. Oh, no, no, no. That was that was essentially the story of of how I how I discovered sous vide cooking and just how quickly I took to it. Some people don't take to it quite as quickly. Um like they need a little bit more of a push, but for me it was like love at first sight. <laughs> yeah, that's great. And it's great when you find that thing whether it's an appliance or um a style of cooking or whatever that you just immediately fall in love with like you said. And I feel like a lot of food bloggers have the same experience, not with sous vide necessarily, but with some something that they fell in love with. I always tell the story that I had my Instant Pot for one year. It was sitting in my pantry on the floor and I used it as a step stool <laughs> for an entire year. I am not kidding. And my husband and I had friends who were always like, you have got to stop doing that. You're going to break it and you need to use it. Get it out. So reluctantly, I got it out and I think I made, what was my first thing? Hard-boiled eggs. And I was like, I'm not going to be impressed with this. They were the best hard-boiled eggs. The shell just like fell off of them. So yep, fell in love, just like what you're saying about sous vide. You fell in love immediately. So that's really cool. So you already had an established blog though. What was your previous niche or did you not have one? I didn't really have one before. Previously, like I said, um, it started as like, I'm a college student and I'm learning to cook and here's my blog. Um, and then it kind of developed into like, um, my focus was more e like easy recipes that invited the home cook into the kitchen was kind of what I was going for. Um, just because my, my approach since I started 
food blogging is I've wanted to encourage other people to cook because especially in college, I saw all these college students around me who just relied on top ramen and takeout and mac and cheese. Not that there's anything wrong with those things, but I was like, cooking is so fun and it's cheaper and it's better for us. And like, here's all the reasons that you should do it. And so that was kind of my approach the, um, the entire time. And then now it, I still do retain some of that. Not every single recipe that I post is about sous vide cooking, but a lot of it is about sous vide. So what percentage would you say on your site is sous vide? When it comes to publishing new content, it's probably 80% sous vide at least and 20% um, other. I think it's always interesting to know that because people do tend to leave wiggle room for those just extra like non-niche recipes, which I think is really smart. I have a bunch of recipes on my site that don't fall in line with my niche really at all. Like I did Whole30 once, one time, and I put a handful of Whole30 recipes on my site and they're wildly popular. So I'm keeping them there. I am not by any means a Whole30 or a healthy food blogger, but hey, if people like it, then I'm just going to keep it. Yeah. Talk us through once you found your niche, where did you go from there and how did it open up doors for you? Yeah. So, you know, I started talking about sous vide like on Instagram a little bit and got lots of questions about it. And I was like, okay, so this is clearly something people are curious about. And then I started sharing recipes on my blog. And my, I think my first sous vide recipe was for um, sous vide tri-tip, um, just like tri-tip steak. And it's still one of the most popular posts on my blog. Um, and I was like, and as I just kind of saw that people were gravitating towards these sous vide posts and that they were ranking, I was like, okay, there's something here. Um, and so I tend to think my brain that is like half creative, half strategy. I always say I'm like a type C person somehow. Um, but I'm, um, a marketer, like a a trained marketer. And so I was thinking like, okay, so I've discovered, I really like sous vide. The other people in the sous vide space are almost entirely men. (laughs) Um, and the people who are using it are almost entirely chefs or they're like, food geeks, um, like they're really into like, you know, um, home brewing or like these like kind of like more intense things or they're like barbecuers, like they're, they're, um, pit masters, like they're really into grilling. So those were like, and I'm like, I am none of those things. Um, and I'm a woman. And so you might see that and think I don't have a space in this community, but I saw that and I was like, that means I can introduce home cooks to sous vide cooking. Like that's, that can be my little slice of this pie. Um, so I was really, really drawn to that immediately. And, um, so much so that I was like, I need to write a book about this. (laughs) Um, and pretty much like within a few months decided, okay, I am going to self-publish a cookbook and it's going to be about sous vide cooking. My cookbook is going to be hot pink (laughs) and it's going to be geared towards home cooks. Um, and that like, changed my career as a food blogger. Um, because the great thing about sous vide cooking is people like maybe have kind of like heard of it, but they don't really know what it is. It's something people are curious to learn more about. Um, and then once a home cook, at least in my experience has seen how it can like benefit them in the kitchen, they really, really gravitate towards it. And so, um, after I published my book, I was able to do, I live in Portland and people here are so supportive of everyone in the food community. It's, it's wonderful. 
And I got involved with some local food organizations who immediately helped me and gave me um, tables at like holiday markets. I launched my cookbook over Black Friday weekend. Um, Yeah, it was great timing. And so uh, in Portland, we have all these like local maker events around the holidays. Um, And so I got a table at all of those to sell my books. I was able to go on several podcasts um, for the first time. I would say that this was the most exciting thing for me. And it's something I have continued doing um, that that benefits me every single time I do it, which is going on live local TV. Um, and so I, I reached out to one of, you know, again, Portland food community is amazing. And I met with a woman in food PR here, just like got coffee with her. And she like literally gave me her contact list and was like, here, you can't afford to hire me, but here are all of my contacts here. You have fun. <laughs> which was like amazing. And so I just cold pitched TV producers and they were like, Oh yeah, we'd love to have you on. And I remember like the first email I got, I was at work and I just started crying at my desk. (laughs) So I was like, you want me to come on TV? What is this? It was like the coolest thing. And the great thing about having a niche Um, and then, you know, if you do something like a cookbook or something like that, it gives people a specific reason to talk to you. Whereas like, I mean, that's not to say that can't be the case if you are a more generalized food blogger. Um, but it's a lot easier when there's this like specific hook that you have, like this thing that you can be an expert on and like, and share about. And so I was able to do that again and and again and again. And, um, that has just really, really changed things for me. I love your story, Chelsea, just hearing you talk about how you decided to write a book after you fell in love with sous vide, which led to TV opportunities and things that just really excited you and and how you, also how you explained having a niche gives people a reason to talk to you about something really specific. I'd never thought about it like that. But when people ask me like, oh, you're a food blogger, if I don't talk to them about what I blog about the conversation ends really abruptly. It's like, okay, cool. We all love food. But if you have something to offer, like I I love cooking with sous vide, then that's like, oh, my aunt does that. And she makes, you know, like that is a, a conversation starter. So I love that perspective. So I wanted to ask you about how others can do this because I know a lot of food bloggers are listening who really struggle with finding that really specific niche. And I think we're finding out more and more that the more you can niche down, the further you can niche down, the more successful you can be, the more tuned in you'll be to your audience, et cetera. So what's your advice for other people? Yeah. So first and foremost, like um, after I discovered this um, and really after I wrote my book, after I was getting attention for being known for sous vide. I was, I kind of had a moment where I kind of like freaked out about that. (laughs) I was like, I didn't actually mean, like, I, I didn't mean to be known for sous vide. (laughs) It just like, it just happened. And I was like, is this what I want my like thing to be? Like, is the, is this, am I sure about this? And I felt like very freaked out about that, um, for a little bit because I was worried it meant I couldn't blog about, you know, gnocchi or like I couldn't like do these other things. And so first of all, I just want to reassure you that that is not true. Like it's still your platform. You still get to do whatever you want. And like, frankly, I mean, I only sous vide cook 
probably like once or twice a week. And um, I still like share on Instagram everything else that I'm cooking and people are still interested. So So they don't say like, okay, Chelsea, it's not sous vide. So we don't care. Like they do still show interest in your other recipes. Exactly. Yes. Like uh, that's good to hear. Like last year I did a polenta lasagna recipe that like, you know, had a moment on Instagram. And so like, you're still, you still get to do all the other things that you want to do. So I want to reassure you for that, reassure everybody for that. But, um, I'd say the, the best way to find what your niche is, is to really pay attention to what, so I think Instagram is one of the best way for, to find your niche. I mean, that was really helpful for me at least. And the reason being is because it's such a great platform for you to talk with your followers. I'm really active on Instagram. I like I story quite a bit and, you know, I really like to talk to people and I make a point of that of building relationships there. Um, but for me, it was like when the moment I realized I had something with sous vide was when people were talking to me about it. So when people would be like, you know, would ask me, what is sous vide? Why do you like sous vide? Do I really need another kitchen appliance? Like all, you know, lots and lots of questions about it. It was like, Oh, okay. Got it. So if, what you, one thing that's great for you to look for is share a lot on Instagram, share how you're cooking, share why you're doing things a specific way and see what people gravitate towards and see what people are asking you questions about. And that's where I think even like, um, the poll and question features on Instagram are super helpful as well. One thing, and this is my marketing brain, um, a little bit coming in here, but, um, one thing I see food bloggers, a mis- it's not a mistake. Mistake is like a strong word here, but something that they do that could be more effective in their Instagram stories is, um, they'll post like, what kind of recipes do you want to see from me? If I see that, that's like a huge generalized question. <laughs> and I have no idea what I'm going to write there. Like, like that's just too big. And so if you can do things like, like even like using the poll future and a lot of times people will have like um, back to back poll questions. Like, are you more interested in seeing instant pot recipes or crock pot recipes? Are you like things like that and kind of see where your audience is at. Um, that's a really great way to gauge what could be a potential niche niche for you. And I think another thing that um, is helpful is to expand your definition of what a niche is. Um, so for example, I don't know if anybody follows, um, fed and fit. Um, oh my gosh, Cassie joy Garcia. And I blinked on her name for a second there. Um, she, I love her cookbook. So she wrote a cookbook, um, that's called uh, cook once eat all week. And the whole concept behind her cookbook and behind a lot of what she produces on her blog and for Instagram is, um, batch cooking with the same ingredients and creating several meals out of it. So it's not necessarily like, yeah, so it's not cooking one big batch of the same soup. It's like buying a ton of sweet potatoes and ground beef and making four different d- dishes out of those two ingredients. Um, and that is a niche, like in a way that's kind of like a meal prep niche. Um, but that's something you're known for. Like if you want to meal prep efficiently and effectively, you go to Fed and Fit for that kind of information. So it doesn't just have to be a cuisine, a diet, an appliance, like your niche can be so many different things. Oh, I love that. Just expanding that definition. um, I interviewed someone a while ago, and I feel so terrible that I cannot remember her site. But her niche was the coolest thing ever. And it kind of goes along with what you're saying. It's just so different. But she makes recipes that are only made 
from ingredients that come from Aldi, the grocery store. And I just think that is like the coolest niche ever because who would ever think of that? And everyone loves Aldi because it's affordable and you can't buy like every single ingredient on the planet there. So you are limited, but you know, you don't like going to all the different stores. Like, oh, I have to go to this grocery store to get um, a specialty meat and then I'll, I'll go to Aldi to get my produce. But I just think there are so many ways to look at a niche like you're saying, Chelsea, and it doesn't have to be based around sous vide or crock pot or instant pot or a big appliance. It can be something really different and unique that is maybe sitting right in front of you. So that is really intriguing to me. And I think that will stir up some ideas for people listening. Um, I also wanted to ask you about equipment. So when you're talking to people, do you feel like you are convincing some people to actually buy sous vide equipment and dig into it? And how many, what would you say like is a percentage of people who already have it versus people who don't, who you're like, yes, you should get it, get on board. Because I feel like with the Instant Pot, I'm always trying to convince people to get it. Um, But then there's also a certain percentage that already have it. So I'm just curious about sous vide equipment. Yeah. So I think that's a really good question. So um, I actually, (laughs) there was this one market that I loved doing. Um, It's called the Portland Night Market. It's like a really big thing here. It happens, I don't know, four times a year. And it's in this kind of essentially like abandoned warehouse here in Portland. And um, it's just like massively full of makers. Well, and this is obviously pre-COVID times (laughs) and um, food trucks and all this amazing stuff. Um, So one thing that I um, really loved about doing those events is it was a great time to get in front of a ton of people. However, what I found myself doing over and over and over again, and then, you know, part of what I do when I go to these events is I usually bring samples and my go-to food sample is sous vide cheesecake. And yeah, it's so good. Sous vide cheesecake is phenomenal. Um, But one thing that I would get a little bit frustrated with is, um, the confusion people had around my table. So they would come up to my table and they'd be like, are you selling cheesecake? And I'm like, no. And they're like, okay, are you selling the immersion circulators? And I'm like, no, I'm selling my cookbook. And they're like, how do I buy an immersion circulator? I'm like, I don't know. Go to Amazon. (laughs) 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 We can talk about that if you want to. But um, honestly, it depends on the audience. So I luckily now have a lot of followers on Instagram who are already into sous vide. And then I have a lot of people too, who are just like curious about it and they kind of watch me do it for a while. Um, and then decide if it's something that they should be doing or not, but it is a conversation I have all the time. And I think one thing, so this is kind of my approach to life in general is just to dive in, like, just, just do the thing, just do the thing and see if it works for you. And the great thing about sous vide cooking is it's a relatively, people think it's going to be, um, expensive to be a part of. And I think that's because of the type of people who are known for doing it. Um, but now you can get an immersion circulator from anywhere between 80 and 180 bucks. And so it's relatively affordable to get started. And that's the only thing you truly need to do it. Um, so I think that that makes it a lot easier. And I, one thing I tell people too, I am, um, very much of the, in the camp of like, not just because I love sous vide doesn't mean I have to sous vide everything. So, um, like I, 
one one thing that um, I get a lot of of hate for in the sous vide world is I think um, I think that sous vide eggs are a waste of time. Not egg bites. I love egg bites, but people are really into like sous vide poached eggs and sous vide hard boiled eggs. And um, like with a poached egg, people will recommend that you sous vide it and then finish it in simmering water. And I'm like, why wouldn't I just poach it then? <laughs> like if I know <laughs> that's stupid to me. And so making like really talking through people or um, talking with people about how they cook and then determining if sous vide is a good fit for them. I literally actually just made a reel over the weekend. That's should I get an immersion circulator? <laughs> Um, and so my kind of like two, um, determinants of that are one, do you eat a lot of meat and seafood? And then if so, and then my second question is, do you cook a lot? Like, do you cook like three to four nights a week at least? And like, then you should probably have an immersion circulator. It would benefit you. But luckily in this case, I don't think it's a really hard sell. Another thing that helps with, um, an immersion circulator versus like a slow cooker or an instant pot. Cause that's what people will compare it to with me is it's much smaller <laughs> and people are kind of sick of having, you know, so many kitchen appliances. Oh my gosh. Point. Yes. <laughs> so true. Um, so that makes it a little bit easier too. And then I recently created, um, I'm still figuring out like how to describe it. Um, it's kind of like a digital course meets e-cookbook and it's called sous vide school. And I intentionally made it super low priced, um, because one way people have been using it is they've been buying it before they even buy an immersion circulator and going through it and deciding if they want to get into sous vide or not. So that's been really helpful for me too. That is cool too. So you're really serving people, you know, recipes who already have the equipment. And then you're also kind of marketing yourself like as an expert to convince people to launch into it. And that's kind of what your course does, right? Yep, exactly. Okay. And can you tell people how to find your course? I'm curious about it and just give us like a description. Like, is it video modules? How do people move through it? Yep. So if you go to aducksoven.com slash sous vide school, that's where you can find all of the information about it. And so um, for a week, I had it priced at only 19 bucks and then um, now it's $27. And the whole goal, like, um, of course, as, as soon as I launched it, I had so many friends be like, Chelsea, this is priced way too low. <laughs> and I'm like, I totally hear you. The reason I'm pricing it so low is because my, this is going to sound very like cheesy and wooey, but truly like my mission is to, um, bring the magic of sous vide to home cooks. And because it, um, people think it's for someone who is like an advanced cook who's this fancy chef, blah, blah, blah. But it's, it's truly an amazing fit for people who aren't as comfortable in the kitchen because it takes all of the guesswork out of cooking hard things for you. Like I made a lobster for the first time this year with sous vide and it was so easy or lobster tails. I shouldn't say a lobster. Um, (laughs) and it was fantastic. It was so easy. And I just didn't have to think about it because sous vide did all of the hard work for me. Um, so I created sous vide school just with like really, really beginners in mind, like people who have maybe only used their immersion circulator once or twice, or it's still sitting in the box at their house. And so the way it works is the first module is like the super, um, heavy module. So it's like, it's got, it really takes you through and it, 
in a in an inviting way in a non-scary way um the science of sous vide cooking and why it's beneficial because i think it's important to understand that so you can understand how it's going to change change your cooking game as i like to say um and then literally after you learn the science of sous vide i'm like okay go cook a steak so at the end of each module there's a lab where you just go cook like don't think about it just go do it follow these instructions here you go um just because i want people to just dive into it and stop overthinking it so they can see the magic of it and just fall in love with it like i did and so then the second module um is really similar like uh it kind of teaches you some more finishing um to, uh, aspects of the of it and to make sure your meat is like flavored well and things like that and then again it's like okay now go cook this and then so over and over and so it covers everything from like sous vide steak sous vide egg bites um pork chops and then now i'm releasing new content every two weeks through april and we're getting into kind of like um, liquor infusions is something really fun that you can do with sous vide. Um, why delicate proteins are different than a more sturdy protein like salmon versus steak, for example. Um, sous vide desserts, uh, combining cooking methods like sous vide and deep frying. So we're kind of getting into like the more fun stuff now, which is exciting. Dang it, Chelsea. I am <laughs> tempted to... Oh, I just I don't need one more thing. You know how it is. You hear these things that are so inspiring, like a new method of cooking or a new appliance or food blogging is full of new ideas. And I have such a hard time saying no, but I know. this looks so tempting. I love meat. I'm such a hardcore carnivore right along with you. So I, um, yeah, I'm trying to resist, but your cookbook is so pretty and inviting and your sales page for your course is also inviting. So nice work on all of that. This is really Thank exciting. <laughs> um, also, I have to say that I love that you came into this scene as a woman because you mentioned earlier that it was filled with men typically. I mean, are there any other women who are known for cooking sous vide? Not really. Um, I mean, like there's a few food bloggers who I've become friends with who um, do sous vide. And then um, I've gotten involved with the International Sous Vide Association. Um, Jason, who you mentioned earlier, um, and Mike uh, run run the show over there and they've been phenomenal. Um, and they actually asked me to be a part of um, the inclusion committee for the ISBA. Awesome. And so the inclusion committee, my job is to literally find women, people of color, um, home cooks, bartenders, these people who aren't usually the people who are featured in the sous vide space and give them this voice, give them this platform, invite them to share what they're doing. Um, for example, I recently just started talking to a bartender on Instagram who's using sous vide to fat wash cocktails. <laughs> which I, I didn't know what that meant. Um, what is fat that, washing? That sounds yeah, really involved. It's <laughs> wild. It's like you literally infuse liquor with fat. What? Um, yeah, it's very interesting. So, um, I started talking to him and I was like, Oh my gosh, I think that you should do a demo for the ISVA. And he's like, well, I'm not like a sous vide expert. I don't know. And it's like, it's not about that. We just want you to share this really cool thing that you're doing. And so that has been really fun. And, and then incur I think that, um, you know, a, a lot of people have imposter syndrome, like in, um, not just in like the grand scheme, but like in little aspects of what they do. And so, so many of the women that I reach out to, to get involved are like, I don't know. I don't know if I can teach this, like just because, and I'm like, you have this recipe on your blog about sous vide. So you're already teaching it. So 
you can absolutely, if you're comfortable on video, you know, do a pre-recorded demo and submit it to the ISBA. So I've, that has been so fun for me is to just get other, other people who are more similar to me involved with sous vide cooking. I love that. I, I love that whole concept of just including everyone and trying to branch out from like, quote unquote, the norm, you know? <laughs> um, mm-hmm. Yeah, that's that's great. And it made me think of when you were talking about that initially, it made me think of Susie Bullock from Hey Grill Hey. And she dove into the barbecue scene a handful of years back as like one of the only women barbecue bloggers out there at the time. And now she's got a show on the Food Network and that served her very well. So there is something to that coming in to something a little bit different than what the norm is, right? Absolutely. Yeah, she's actually, she's an amazing example of that. Um, And that can even, that is a niche, right? Like, it's not that she, it's not that grilling is necessarily her niche. I mean, it is, but it's also that she's a woman who's known for grilling. Like, that's what different. So I guess even like, for people listening, a way to think about it is what differentiates you? Like, what is something that you can be known for? And people, people can say, oh yeah, that's the woman who grills, you know, like they can say, oh yeah, that's the woman who does sous vide. Um, yeah, think, I love thinking that. about it like that. That's really cool. I also have to ask you, Chelsea, what is your favorite thing to sous vide? Is it too hard to pick or can you choose a handful? Mm, uh, okay. So I'm, I'm going to say there are lots of things, but I think it's going to be pork chops. And I've been talking about this like on Instagram actually a lot lately. And I actually just made a reel about this as well. (laughs) Um, But uh, the reason I say pork chops is because pork chops have such a terrible reputation. (laughs) I agree. I I so agree with you. I love them, but everyone's afraid of pork pork chops. So they think they're boring or they're often overcooked. Yes. Exactly. Like there was like, I was on TikTok and just like scrolling through videos and seeing all these teenagers who were like literally crying at the dinner table because their mom was serving pork chops. And I was like, okay, we got to change this. And so with sous vide, like, oh my, a sous vide pork chop is phenomenal. It is so meaty. It's so juicy. It's just like, it's perfectly cooked. There's so much flavor. And once you have a sous vide pork chop, it completely changes what you how you know what you, what a pork chop is in your mind <laughs> that's great so I grew up with a mom who cooked pork chops insanely well they were always delicious she pan fried them so when I got married my husband was like why are you buying pork chops he thought I was insane because his mom probably overcooked them and they you know stayed away from them because everyone worries about them not being cooked through and all of those you know worries So when I started cooking them my mom's way, he's like, oh my gosh, these are so good. So that in itself is enough to sell me on sous vide because with sous vide, you can, you know, the exact inner temperature, correct? So you know that you're not eating undercooked meat. Exactly. Yes. And, and that's enough. That's actually, um, a great, uh, one reason, um, sous vide is so great for squeamish people. Like my father-in-law is notorious for eating well-done steaks, which like just hurts my heart every single time. Um, and with sous vide, it's like, okay, father-in-law, I've literally <laughs> pasteurized this steak. Like you can pasteurize with sous vide. I'm like, every single germ is killed and it's still medium rare. Like, will you eat it? And now he's, he's into it. <laughs> oh, good. Yeah. I can see where that would totally transform people who do eat meat even more and like help them to explore more 
And then you mentioned cooking lobster, lobster tails. That is so appealing. How long does something like that take typically? Typically about 30 minutes. And so that's something that's like kind of a weird adjustment with sous vide since, so the benefit of cooking at a high temperature. So like when you're cooking in an oven is it brings whatever you're cooking up to temperature faster because the cooking environment is so hot. So with sous vide, everything takes longer, which is something you kind of get used to. And, um, you begin to see as a benefit. So for example, I usually cook a steak for about two hours. Um, which is really weird for people when they first hear it. And um, I'm like, yeah, I, I get my steak in the water bath and then I go about my day. Like I, um, you know, we'll start prepping side dishes. I'll clean the kitchen. I'll keep working, whatever. And then that steak is ready to go whenever I'm ready. And a lot of people actually use it for um, par cooking. So for meal prep. Um, so I'll cook like a ton of chicken thighs at the oh. beginning of the week and just keep them unfinished in the fridge. And then when I'm ready to eat, I'll just sear them. and serve them and they're ready to go. Oh my gosh. I am so hungry and I just (laughs) want to sous vide now. Okay. I feel like this is turning into, I just have one more question, (laughs) sous vide conversation about desserts. How like your cheesecake, how in the world do you cook a cheesecake in sous vide, like a water bath? Okay. So it's a little bit different than what you normally think of as a cheesecake. So what I typically do is um, I have and, you know, in that closet, my husband mentioned of dishes we never use, <laughs> there are like dozens and dozens of jars of mason jars. So I always do little individual cheesecakes that are in a jar and it's super cute for serving. And then like everybody gets their own cheesecake, which is awesome. And so what you do is you don't do, you could do a crust along the bottom. Usually if I want to do something like that, I'll like sprinkle a graham cracker crust on after I'm done. Um, but it, it's sous vide is amazing for like cheesecake, creme brulee, flourless chocolate cake, things like that, because you're going to get a consistent temperature the entire way through the cheesecake. So it's not going to, you know, be overcooked on the edges and still watery in the middle. You're not going to worry about cracks or anything like that. And the texture is so consistent and so good. All right. Well, I'm, I think I might be convinced. I will report back soon, Chelsea, to let you know about my, I'm, what if I really like it? Now I'm worried because I just got like a new rebrand on my website or I'm working on it right now. What if I really like sous vide? And I'm like, dang it. That's a worry that actually makes me want to push it away. <laughs> you can always like try it and then like, just like try some steak and then, and see how it feels and then go from there. Yeah, I would start with steak too, because steak is one of my absolute favorite meats. Love a good steak. My husband is always perfecting his delicious steak recipe. Thank you so much for all of this information, not just about sous vide, but about finding a niche and how people can dig in and ways to go about figuring out what people want from you. You mentioned Instagram, really paying attention on Instagram, listening to your audience. You made a super great point about polling your audience. Instagram is great for that, but Sometimes we can be really generic in general. Like, what do you want from me this week? And as a user myself, when I see that, I'm like, uh, a nap? Like, I don't know. Just very open-ended questions. So being really specific with, with what you ask people and the polls feature is really great for that. And then you also just touched on how to expand your definition of a niche. You know, like a woman in barbecue or a woman in sous vide is actually a niche. So expanding what that means for you. So thank you for all of that. If I had to ask you for one main takeaway along the lines of finding and embracing a niche, what would it be? I think that it would be 
you probably already have something that you can pursue as your niche and you just don't even know it yet. Like, um, I, I, I encourage you even to just like, look, like stare at your top 10 ranking Google posts and see what's there because there is a very good chance that you already have something and it's right in front of you and you don't even know. Oh, love that. Very well said. Thank you so much for being here, Chelsea. This was a very fun conversation. Before you go, do you have a favorite quote or words of inspiration to share with food bloggers? Yeah, my um, I'm going to I'm going to go with words of inspiration here, which is don't feel discouraged um, by the prospect of finding your niche or be concerned that there's a thousand other people who are already doing your niche. One thing that I always like to think of when I have that moment of like everybody else is already doing this is think about other people that you truly know, like in your life, like in person is anybody else doing that? (laughs) And that's always like a little bit of a good reminder for me. Like it only feels like there, everybody else is doing it because that is the world that you've put yourself in. So there's still plenty of room for you too. That is great advice. And it is so easy to look at other people and say, oh, well, they can do it because they've got a great personality or they're really fun, but it doesn't make sense for me because everyone else is doing it. And somehow we just need to flip that around, right? And just see ourselves like we see other people sometimes, but that's really hard to do. But I love it. Just a great nugget of wisdom for everyone who struggles with that. So we will put together a show notes page for you, Chelsea, if anyone wants to go peek at that. We'll also put the link for Chelsea's sous vide school there if you want to peek at that as well as her cookbook. Um, You can find that at eblogtalk.com forward slash a duck's oven. Chelsea, tell everyone where they can find you online. Yeah, so you can find my blog at aducksoven.com. And if you haven't guessed already, Instagram is my favorite place to hang out. So you can find me on Instagram at aducksoven. And I'm always down to DM. So happy to field questions or just like chat about this more. Great. Well, thanks again, Chelsea, for being here. And thank you for listening today, food bloggers. I will see you next time. We're glad you could join us on this episode of Eat Blog Talk. For more resources based on today's discussion, as well as show notes and an opportunity to be on a future episode of the show, be sure to head to eatblogtalk.com. If you feel that hunger for information, we'll be here to feed you on Eat Blog Talk.